Sorry, that was loud to me. <laughs> Shabbat shalom, everybody. I've got some announcements for you. So as of right now, we still have the clothing drive going through the 24th. So if you have any gently used coats, sweaters, hats, or gloves, feel free to bring them to who? I forgot who. There's actually a, uh, a basket out front. A basket out front to put them in. If it is socks and underwear, please bring new. They will not take them used. It's kind of gross. Um, the men's encouragement is at 10 a.m. tomorrow at the Drew's household. So if you want to do that, please check in with the uh, church center app and get with Stephen if you need more info. As well, we also have kids class today and table fellowship. Also, do not forget, tomorrow at 4.30, I know there's been some times going around, we are all going to be in downtown OKC to celebrate the first day of Hanukkah with all of our fellow people. So please join us for the fun and the celebration with food. We're all going to hang out and celebrate. It's going to be awesome. I said that like three times. Um, <laughs> the only thing left I got for you is the tithe. If you have it, you do not have to. We do not expect it. If you want to, though, you can do that online through PayPal, on Venmo. We also have a place in the back. As well as tithe, there is a donation going on right now to raise funds for the homeless and students. We're trying to reach $5,000. If you want it to go specifically to that, please make that note. Otherwise, it'll just go to the church in general for good use. If y'all guys have any other questions about anything, please let us know and we'll answer them. Y'all guys have a good worship.
Jesus, I sing. Lord, there is not like you all of my days. I want to praise the wonders of your Lord, give. 
Give us the strength to glorify your name. Emmanuel, God with us. In the midst of all the changes, in the midst of the season, Father. When the flu is going around, colds. Father, we just ask that you and you alone would provide, protect, restore. That you would give us the strength to live and to speak for you to glorify your name. Father, during this season of Hanukkah, the season where we celebrate the light of the world, Lord, Father, let your light radiate through each and every one of your people in this city and in this community. That it wouldn't just be the Hanukkahs, that it wouldn't just be the lights on the house, Lord, but that we would be walking, breathing, living lights and testimonies of you, Yeshua. Give us the strength to live for you. Give us the peace that passes all understanding. And Father, continue to show us how to walk, how to step. Father, for those who are struggling this season, maybe it's with the death of a loved one, maybe it's with the loss of a job. Father, we ask that you would be their shalom and their peace, that you would be their joy in this season, and that our faith would multiply, that you could work in our lives and in the city. Father, we just love you, we bless you, and we thank you on this Sabbath day. For it's in the name of Yeshua, we praise you. And give thanks for all things. Amen and amen. All right, little ones, come on up. We want to give thanks for you guys. Pour out a blessing on you. You guys excited for the Hanukkah parties coming up? I can tell you one thing. God gave us a time of remembrance specifically for the kid at heart in each and every one of us. How many of you guys like sugar? Of course it's pure cane sugar. Of course it's like the raw, unfiltered, like Stephen Drew's approved sugar. But how many of you like sugar? Big, big boy Nate, do you like sugar? Do you like co- sugar, like in cookies and all that kind of stuff? Well, you love sugar? Somehow I feel like I would believe that. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. Advent down. Advent down. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. You can get it. Yeah, go ahead. That's awesome. Thanks for helping, dude. Well, one thing for sure at all the Hanukkah parties is there will be sugar. There will be lots of sugar. There will be lots of rejoicing. 
All of the deacons are going to open up their homes. If you're not in church center, um, please sign up with Sarah. She's right there. She'll be the one at the door, but she's the one holding the camera right now. Um, Get with her so we have your information because we want you guys, every person who's here, your family, we want to invite you guys to our homes for our progressive Hanukkah parties. That starts tomorrow. First, downtown, like Lexi said, but then basically all the way through the 25th. And so you guys are invited to their houses. You're invited to my house. My wife is at home. We have a, a sick one uh, today. But uh, you guys are invited to our home on the 25th for our Hanukkah gathering. And so we're super excited. I'm trying to find a snow machine. I'm, like, trying to do all the things. Like, if Weird Al made a Hanukkah album, we'd be playing that too. Like, just fun family rejoicing together. And so I want to personally invite you guys to, to partake in that. I know some of you drive a long way, but um, I want to see you guys there. I want to get a chance to hang out and love on you guys. And so if you would, church, uh, let's put a blessing on these kiddos today. I also have a Hanukkah party at my house on the 21st. Just just putting it out there for everyone to also come to. Eat more sugar. Okay. Y'all ready? Let's bless these kids. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause faith, hope, and love to grow in you. May he make all grace abound to you so that in all things, having all at all times, having all that you need, You will abound in every good work. Father, thank you for these kids. We thank you for the joy they bring into our lives. We thank you for all of the traditions we're able to share with them. That means so much to us. Thank you that we are able to, that you have poured into us and now we're able to pour out into them. Please guide us as we lead them. Help us to teach them at their level so that they can learn why we do the things we do. I ask that you would help us to slow down and to lead the little ones just as you have slowed down, came as, you know, a man to lead us. Help us to lead them. Father, thank you for being near to us every single day. Please help us to be near to them. I ask that you would guide each and every single one of their steps. Help them to learn your ways so that they can do them. Thank you for all the parents in their lives. We ask that you would please bless them and keep them so that they can bless and keep these kids. Thank you, Lord. All right, kids, we are going to say the Lord's Prayer. Are you ready? Amen. That was awesome. Good job. Okay. Kids, you have a kids class ages four to, I lost it. What was it? 12? And then youth is going to be in here today.
Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Just getting everything here in order, getting ready so we can just dive in. Uh, well, winter has shown up, hasn't it? So I cannot stand wearing long sleeve shirts, but uh, today I thought, okay, well, I'll just look like, you know, lumberjack and uh, wear my long sleeve shirt. We are continuing our series uh, that I have titled The Lion's Roar, based on Amos 3.8, where Amos says, A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? The, the impact of that is that when God speaks, life changes. When God speaks, if you truly hear what God has said, there's going to be an aftermath to that event. And so we've been looking at the book of Revelation for exactly what it is. It is the lion's roar, and we are being called to do a few things with it, to hear it. And by hearing it, the Bible means to receive it, to bring it inside, to let it really resonate in our heart and our soul, and to keep it and to guard it, to let nobody rob you of the promises of the victory that is ours in Yeshua the Messiah. And finally, once you have heard the good news, who can but help tell somebody else? You know, I, I was listening to, uh, we were watching the Today Show the other day, and one of the uh, people were talking about one of the Christmas songs they hate. And it kind of broke my heart because it's uh, Mary Did You Know, and I, I think he just totally didn't understand the meaning of the song. But, but there, there's a song that kind of drives me crazy too, and it's Go Tell It on the Mountain. Well, okay, you can go shout it from the mountain, but if there's no one up there, come down in the valley and find somebody. But if the lion has roared, tell somebody. That's the whole message uh, of uh, the prophecy. Now, we looked at chapter 1 because we've, we've been away for a couple of weeks, so I just want to do a little review. We took a look at chapter 1 and kind of looked at it as the day of the Lord. In recognizing the timing of this prophecy as having been given on the day of the Lord, which is the day of atonement, it forces us to immediately begin to see Yeshua as our great high priest. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 8 just, I mean, he just nails it when he says that we have such a great high priest. And the import of what he's saying is because we have such a great high priest who is interceding on our behalf, we have every reason to not fall away. The way we've been phrasing it is we have every reason to see ourselves as victors and not victims. I hope that phrase is just resonating in your heart and soul. Because, you know, Chris prayed about this. There's a season of sifting going on. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that here in a little bit. But, but there's, even in this season of joy, there's some difficult things going on in people's lives. And sometimes, if you're like me, you can, you know, along with the Hanukkah parties and everything else, I love to throw a pity party. And I, I'm, I'm generous. I, I, I want to invite everybody along with me to my little pity party. I want that, oh, you're right, Brent, you are suffering so much. But sometimes if we would just let that little phrase resonate in our spirit, the lack of money, the relational conflict, the change of plans, it hasn't changed anything. I am still a victor, not a victim. Amen? All right, so then we moved into chapters 2 through 3. 
and we began to look at the word of the Lord. The great lion of the tribe of Judah has roared, and he has something to say to his church, to his assembly, to his called out redeemed people. Have we ever seen the Lord do anything like that before? Sure we have. When God wanted to speak to the whole house of Israel, he raised up 12 prophets. We call them the minor prophets, but the 12 minor prophets actually in, in the Hebrew Bible are one book. The book of Trey Asar, the book of 12. So 12 tribes, 12 prophets, 12 books. But the Lord represents the church as a menorah. What a perfect time for us to be thinking about that, right? As Hanukkah is coming. He represents the seven uh, churches that he's walking amongst. And so when it comes time for him to say something, he's going to speak it to seven assemblies, seven congregations of the saints. Now, as we've been going through this, we've been looking at what I'm calling seven great moments in the life of a believer. And the reason I do that is because when you hear the voice of the Lord, it is indeed a great moment. I mean, we could probably pass the microphone around today, and if I was to ask you to cite a moment in time in your spiritual walk and journey that has really impacted you and has been a transformational moment for you, it was probably that time when you really felt with all clarity, whether it was a voice, whether it was an impression, however the Lord brought it to you, when you knew that you knew that you knew that you knew the Lord had spoken to you. Those are transformational moments, aren't they? But we have to be listening for them. So today, as we look at the final two letters from the roaring lion, and wow, what great moments they have for us. I simply ask you to do what I've been asking you each time, to simply pray, Lord God, speak to me. This day, will you pray with me? Oh, Abba, Father, we come before you in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, the Christ, the risen King. And we are ready to hear your voice. Father, I would go so far as to say that some of us are desperate to hear your voice. Not because you have withheld, but because of the circumstances we face. We need your voice now in this season. Lord, I pray that we would be diligent to hear your voice today and to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches and to us. I pray these things, B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Jesus, the Anointed One. Amen. All right. Our first great moment is going to come in the letter that Yeshua sends to the church uh, of Philadelphia. Let me just read it. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And to the angel in the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one will open, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is coming upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast that what 
which you have, so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow, there is a lot to digest in this, isn't there? What an amazing letter. So let's just, again, we're not going to, there, there's all sorts of associations and connections we could probably make uh, with different words. We're, we're going to look at some of them. But uh, I was kind of fascinated by, there's a, I guess in, in, in the Bible, Philadelphia is kind of like Springfield. You know how every city, every state has a, has a Springfield? Well, there are a lot of Philadelphias in this world, and this one isn't actually the first one. Uh, the city that we know as, today as Amman, Jordan, was originally a, a city called Philadelphia. Uh, it is said that after William Penn signed a treaty with the Native American tribe uh, is when the city of Philadelphia that we know of, the city of brotherly love, uh, was born. Now, again, it's been written. I hope that's what happened. Okay, I hope that's, I hope that's the way it really happened. But, but the idea was that William Penn wanted a city where people could worship uh, in freedom and, and they could pursue God. And so this is a church that's being sent to a city called the City of Brotherly Love. Look at verse 8. He addresses it, uh, he identifies himself as he who is holy, who is true, and who has the key of David. I don't know if you've noticed, but there is an extremely heavy emphasis so far in this letter on the things that Yeshua holds in his hands. I mean, if it's in his hands, it's his. And you can't pry, you know, he, he gives us the picture that the world cannot pry us out of his hands. He is the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The seven stars are the messengers, the angels of, of the churches. He holds them in his hand. He is the one who holds the keys of death in Hades, Revelation 1.8. And now he holds the key of David. I love this phrase and I want to kind of look at it with you this morning, but I want to tell you a little bit of a funny story about it. Years ago, I was uh, doing a, a Thursday night Bible study called Jacob's Ladder. And I had a young college-age associate who was working with me, and this young man was, was brilliant. He was genius level. And uh, I was going on a, a speaking engagement or something, and so I asked Shay if he, would, uh, if he would fill in for me and teach on Thursday night. Well, I, at the time, sometimes I'd be studying the scriptures and a phrase would jump out at me. I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. I gotta, I've got to dive into that a little bit more. And so I took a little post-it note and I just wrote key of David and I put it on my desk. And he was, well, what do you want me to talk, teach about? I said, oh, you can, you know, whatever the Lord leads you to. So I came back from my trip and I said, hey, what did, uh, so what, what'd you teach on? He said, yeah, we need to talk about that. I said, well, what, what, what'd you, what, what the Lord leads you? He said, well, you know that post-it note on your desk about the key of David? I said, yeah. I said, you stole my topic? <laughs> Turn over your notes. <laughs> so, so he taught on the key of David, and I never got to. So I'm finally uh, going to get a chance to teach on the key of David. He also was, was a doodler, okay? And when I got back, my entire desk calendar had doodles all over it but he also speaks Hebrew and they were Hebrew doodles. 
I mean, if you're going to commit a crime, don't leave your signature. I mean, how many people are going in and out of my office that can doodle in Hebrew? Anyway, I'm excited about this because I love this topic. This idea, the key of David, it first comes in Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. And when he shuts, no one will open. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is what Yeshua is referring to in the letter to the church of Philadelphia. And notice that he sets the key of the house of David, meaning there is a person who will descend from the house of David who will receive the key upon his shoulder. Now, let's just let Scripture define Scripture. Uh, Listen to the words of this Messianic prophecy directed at the house of David. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government, finish it with me, will rest upon his shoulders. Interesting. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. Notice that what rests on the shoulders in this prophecy is the government. Now, what does that mean? It means as the king, he is the government of God. Yeshua, as the messianic king, has all the authority. I mean, the scriptures talk about this, Ephesians chapter 1, that all authority and and power reign. He's been seated above everything that could be considered a power or has authority. He is above all of them. He is literally the government. And so I think we can connect these two terms. When we read the key of David, we're talking about the kingdom of God that has been given to Yeshua. Now, there's another phrase, uh, phrase here in this verse I want to mention. Many of you will know this. This phrase um, in verse 14, it says, Of the increase of his government or, of, or peace, there shall be no end. And uh, may I paraphrase in light of what we're looking at? Of the kingdom that is open upon his shoulders, the door never closes. This is, this is the point. That the kingdom that Yeshua is establishing has an open door policy and no man can shut that door. When the kingdoms of earth fall, where do they fall first? If a kingdom's being assaulted back in the, the days of the Bible, what fell first? The gate. The door to the city. If you can get through the the closed door of the city, you can conquer the city. Yeshua says, I'm going to leave my doors wide open and you're still not going to conquer me. That's how powerful I am. Now, this word of the increase is really cool. Uh, as it's written in the Hebrew text, it's the Hebrew word lemarbeh. And not to bore you with a whole lot of Hebrew grammar, but the Hebrew alphabet has uh, 22 letters and five of them uh, have a different form, meaning you write the letter differently if it's on the end of a word than how you write it if it's the, the beginning or the middle. And so the, the form that you use at the beginning or the middle is what I'll call an open form. It's the letter mem. It's kind of like this. Think how you can go in there. It's kind of open. But on the end of the word, the letter mem seals up. It's closed. And you don't use it in the middle or the beginning of the word. Yet in the Hebrew text, the letter is closed. It's closed. It is. And Who said that? I'm echoing myself. Can I get an amen? 
I'm just checking. <laughs> the sages of Israel look at this. Now, again, this is kind of why I kind of, I really like the way the Hebrew sages deal scripture because our Western mindset, the minute we find an anomaly like that, we just want to fix it. The Hebrew mindset is, let's step back and consider it. Why did it happen? Well, we could, we could change that. and No, let's leave it the way it is. Why did the Lord let that happen? Well, as it turns out, the letter Mem is the spiritual letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's the 11th letter, so there's no real middle. But it's the spiritual middle, and it has, it has the meaning of a womb. And from this one closed letter, the ancient sages of Israel say, this is a one-letter prophecy that this person who will come from the house of David to be this messianic forever king will come from a closed womb. It kind of makes you wonder why they get all upset when we start talking about Yeshua coming from a virgin womb. Because what is a virgin womb if it is not an unopened womb? It's a closed womb. And yet, through that womb, the Messiah was born. The key of David, the government of God, will rest on his shoulders because he has and is the key of David through whom a kingdom will be opened that will never be shut. And all of this begins with a series of prophecies that all connect to this of David uh, formula. First, the house of David. First prophesied in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16, when the Lord explains to David that while David's desire to build a house for the Lord, hey, that's really great. Thank you for doing that. I've got a better idea. Rather than you building a house for me, here's what I'm going to do, David. I'm going to build a forever house for you. And by house, what did he mean? Family. David, I'm going to give you a forever family, and through your family, someone is going to sit on the throne forever. I'm going to build a house for you. He will build a house for David, a kingdom, and a family that will have no end upon whose throne one of his descendants will reign forever. And by the way, that one will have the key of David. He will sit on the throne of David. This is written and mentioned many times in Scripture, but the psalmist in 89.29 says, So I will establish his descendants forever and his throne as the days of heaven. Let me just throw in a little advertisement here. Once we transition from chapter 3 into chapters 4 and 5, our next section that we're going to be looking at in the roar, uh, the lion's roar, is going to be the throne of God. We're going to take some time to look at Revelation 4 and 5, then we're going to take a break and we're going to come and do it. Uh, Chris talked about last week and spend some time talking about baptism. So just take note of this. Notice, hear this prophecy. And his throne as the days of heaven. So we get all sorts of prophecies about the Messiah who will sit on the throne of David. Then, we, then we're introduced to this idea of the tabernacle of David. And it comes up in a momentous time, a moment in the history of the early church in Acts chapter 15, when the apostles have come to convene uh, to render a final halakhic, halakhic ruling, meaning they're going to finally answer and settle this question about do Gentiles... I know we call him James. I have nothing against James. I am a Benjamin. I am a son of James, okay, so I have nothing against the name James, but his real name is Jacob, and there's a reason I want to stress that just now, but listen to what he says. After they had stopped speaking, meaning all that could be said had been said, Jacob answered saying, brethren, listen to me, Simeon has related how God first uh, in 
concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With With this, the words of the prophets agree just as it is written. Now notice what Jacob is saying is what Peter has just said is in perfect alignment with what the prophets have said. And then he quotes, After these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. So the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Did you hear that? Throughout the, every time you come to an of David prophecy... Good news, if if you're not a physical descendant of Abraham, the of David prophecies are awesome for us and for them. But the thing I love about the of David prophecies is that many times they are those prophecies which are telling us, confirming that God has always had a plan to bring a people from among the nations, from every tribe, language, people, and nations. And I'm sorry, you don't like, if you don't like the word Gentile, they didn't have a problem with it. The prophets didn't have a problem with it. The apostles didn't have a problem with it. If you've got a problem with it, get over it. Because there is going to be a kingdom from every tribe, language, People and nation. You don't have to learn Hebrew. It's fun. It's insightful. It hurts sometimes. But from every tribe and language. I love Hebrew. I've been spending most of my adult life trying to learn it. I still know just enough to buy a bagel and get thrown in jail when I'm in Israel. That's it. But the whole point of the tabernacle of David is the restoration of the place, the the message that God has always had a place for people from among the nations. And Acts chapter 15 said, and you don't have to become Jewish to be there. But you do have to be in covenant with the Messiah who holds the key upon whose shoulder is the government who is the door and the entrance to that kingdom. Do you remember Genesis 49.10 when Jacob prophesied over Judah and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples or the nations? Paul adds clarity. He says, when he's describing his own ministry, Romans 1.5, he says, to bring about the obedience of faith among the people or the nations. Why does Paul add that? Well, probably to clarify because there is a sense in which when Messiah comes, he will subjugate the nations. Amen? I mean, he's coming in power. But the message of the gospel is not that the Lord has come to subjugate you. The message of the gospel is that Messiah has come to save you. And so the salvation, the kingdom of of all these nations that Messiah wants is not one that comes by force, force, but one that comes by faith. And it's extended to all of us. Everything is so connected. The key of David is the never-ending kingdom of the Messiah. The throne of David is his forever government of righteousness. The house of David through whom the Messianic king would come to restore the tabernacle of David so all the peoples may return to God, the Holy One of Israel. No wonder the angels rejoiced when they came just outside the city of David and said, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Will you say those two words with me? All people. The message is for all people. For today in the city of David, 
Remember what I just said about the of David prophecies? I love them because we get included. Today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Messiah, Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Because this messianic king who holds the key of David holds the answer for the restoration of the world. We, we love John 3.16, for God did not, for God uh, so loved the world that he sent his son into the world that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. But we don't, we need to finish verse 17. For he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but the world might be saved through him. Yeshua holds that key, the key of David, and he tells the faithful believers in Philadelphia and throughout the ages, I place before you an open door, an invitation to come into my forever house, my forever kingdom, where the doors will never be shut. Revelation 21, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple, and the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He is the key to an open door kingdom that never closes its doors. And he says, I've placed an invitation before you to come into that kingdom. So what is our great moment? We are invited to a moment where we finally realize the door is open because he not only holds the key, he is the key. And the government is on his shoulders. And he's creating a kingdom so amazing there is no enemy that he even needs to fear. Therefore, the doors will never be closed. Amazing. You see, this moment, when Yeshua came, he was preaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, meaning not just the eschatological future thing that, that is, is, is coming, not the new Jerusalem, but our opportunity to encounter and embrace and experience what it means to have the power of the presence of the king in our lives right now, to, the chance to walk in and experience his presence, his power, his purpose in our lives, something that no person can take from us because like his keys, his house, and his kingdom, we are in his hands. 
Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you feel like you're slipping out of his hands. Situations and circumstances don't make sense to you. You are in his hands. Trust the one who holds you. The government is on his shoulders, not yours. He says that, and that's why he tells them to hold fast. Don't let go of what has taken hold of you. You have every reason to be a victor and not a victim. When we come to the end of Revelation, when we will get a description of its gates and its foundations, its stones upon which are written the names of the apostles and on the gates are the names of the tribes of Israel. But for the faithful who hold fast, who don't let go of the one who's holding on to them, he says, I will make you pillars in the house of my God. And I will write the name of my God and the name of the city of my God upon you. We know at least what one of those is because Ezekiel tells us that the new Jerusalem will be called Yahweh Shammah. The Lord is there. Your name may not be written on the foundation. It may not be on the gate. But hold on to the one who's holding on to you and you'll become a pillar in the house of the Lord. This letter makes a perfect contrast to the final letter written to Laodicea. So let me read that to you. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and have white garments so that you may clothe yourselves that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and the eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I discipline and reprove. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When you're doing a series on the seven letters of Revelation, you kind of wish that Laodicea had been earlier in the list. Because you kind of want to hit a high point. And most of us, when we come to the church, when we read this letter, it's very heavy. It's, it's, it's about lukewarm believers. But this letter... And I hope you hear me today, offers us an incredible moment. Verse 14, Yeshua is, is identified as the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation. I, I love that it says that because in Genesis 1 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And my friends, we have to understand, and young people, I hope you get this Yeshua is the beginning. 
in the one who is the beginning was the beginning. That word is the word reshit, which means first fruits. In the one who is the first fruits comes the first fruits of the resurrection. It all starts in him, by him, and through him. If you don't believe me, read John 1, 1 through 3. He is the beginning. And if he is the beginning, then he is the end. Now, I have to be honest. I could take time to focus on the negative condition of this church. And wow, would it be easy to rail against the spiritual condition of the body of Christ at large in America today. In fact, it'd just be too easy. You see, the problem is that um, it wouldn't do a whole lot of good, though, because most people who are lukewarm don't know that they're lukewarm. And so the problem is that when you come to a passage like this, it becomes one of those passages where we think we are listening to what the Spirit says to the churches, but unfortunately, our self-defense mechanism kicks in, and all we're hearing is what he is saying about them. And preaching about them is always easy, and let's be honest, it's a lot of fun. You can point out silly examples dumb statements. It's too easy. I could easily go after those who have perverted the blessings of God's promises into the perverse prosperity gospel of greed and self-indulgence, but in truth, that's just too easy. But you see, the thing is, God isn't speaking to them right now. In this moment, in this place, you and I, we are the them. He's speaking to us. You see, the Lord said, go and work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not everybody else's. Oh, that the self-righteous on Facebook would learn this. Go work out your salvation. You see, he's not asking me to run around taking the temperature of everybody else. He wants me to take mine. See, the church in Laodicea is complacent. They're satisfied. They're filled with people from on the outside look well cared for, even prosperous and rich. Yet the lion who roars from heaven declares, I know the truth and no, you're not. And because I am, and I know that because I'm the faithful and true witness, so whatever he says, he's always right. You see, it's, it's easy. I, I kind of learned this uh, in, in an interesting way. I, years ago, I picked up a book by a man named Jack Deere, and I'm not embracing or endorsing everything that Jack Deere says, okay? I only embrace one book called the Bible. But Jack wrote this book called Surprised by the Spirit. And it was a very interesting, timely book for me to read because I was, at the time, really being surprised by the Spirit. In fact, the Lord was doing things without my permission. And definitely outside of my theological, historical box that I grew up in in Christianity. And one of the things he said is, when he's talking about in, in, in spirit-filled churches, how if you've ever been to a charismatic church or event, you see people that, let's be honest... You kind of know some of them are, um, in 
faking it. I mean, I've seen people go down in the spirit really slowly and very carefully. (laughs) Now, I've got a bad back. I don't blame them. But here's what Jack said that really spoke to me and really kind of corrected me. Because I was a preacher at a church that we didn't do any of that. And he says, but what's the, why do you make the assumption that people in those churches don't know that too? Don't understand when someone is just kind of needy for attention. While you ignore the people in your church who do the exact same thing, they just do it a different way. They're there every week because they're convinced if they don't take communion, they'll lose their salvation. They're there every week to make sure they stay in daddy's will. They're there every week. These are real illustrations. I'm not going to tell you who they are. Because the church is a great network for their real estate kingdom. And you know it. But you don't write books about that. You don't condemn them. Did you see my point? It's so easy to talk about them. When we're doing the exact same thing in our own life. Remember what I said about lukewarm people. Most of the time we don't know it's us. Matt Napper, Napper posted a question for discussion on Facebook, which I always think is an incredibly dangerous thing to do. I just pop my popcorn and sit there and watch. But he recently posted this, picture, this question, what is the currency of God's economy? And I got to tell you, it's amazing. There's a lot of people who, one, just have no sense of humor whatsoever and are so literal. First of all, they're, they're like, the word currency and God are never in the scripture together. Okay. They don't understand the difference when, when something is being used as an illustration and you're not putting out there as revelation. There's a difference. He was wanting to know, so what is the currency of God's economy? And I figured out what he meant. While we watch the world of cryptocurrency collapse, he wants to know what the Christocurrency is. You didn't see what I did there? I thought it was really, really funny in my head. I didn't expect absolute silence. So I'm going to say it again. While the world watches cryptocurrency collapse, we want to know what is the cryptocurrency. What is the economy of God? It's very simple. Righteousness. It is not what you receive. It's what you give. That's the currency. Love is the currency. But the truth of the matter is, there are people in Laodicea who are too divested in the things of the world to invest in the things of the kingdom. They're in love with the world. Yeshua says to them, said to the church in Philadelphia, I have placed, I have given you an open door, an open invitation to my kingdom. Now he tells those in Laodicea that he has invited them as well, but they have to be, but they've been too divested in the things of the world to invest in the kingdom. They don't realize it. 
yet he reminds them of his love for them. We are so busy condemning the lukewarm of Laodicea that we actually miss the letter to the church of Laodicea is one of the most beautiful love letters in all of the scripture. We, we, we get so focused on, you know, we want, that's right, we want to condemn them. We don't realize, do you, do you think the letter to the church of Laodicea was to condemn them? Or to call them back into his arms, into his love. And that's an incredible moment. It, it, it's a moment that... Um, we're invited to recognize the love of our Heavenly Father. As this one from the house of David who sits on the throne of David, who has the key of David, who restores the tabernacle of David, stands at your door and knocks. You see, before we enter the house of David and experience the tabernacle of David and sit on the throne of David, you see, before we enter that house that the baby born in Bethlehem from the house of David came to invite you into his house. We must first let him into ours. It's it's a very weird thing to get into his house. I have to let him into mine. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The sages of Israel after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, had to come up with a, well, how are we going to have atonement if we don't have an altar? And eventually they kind of came up to the idea that in the absence of the altar, which is the table of God, where we press in, you know, to seek him, to love him, to thank him, to repent before him, in the absence of that altar, our table, where we sit and where we eat, they teach that that stands in the place of the altar of God. It's a place where we return thanks. Now, as a good Gentile Christian growing up, the first time I heard that, I thought, my, my table's not the altar. What, that, does, that doesn't make any sense. And in one of those transformational moments, the Lord just tapped on my heart and reminded me of these words. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. I will dine with him and he with me. What? An amazing moment. We are in a season of sifting in the body of Christ. It, it, it almost, we almost don't go a week without hearing of another spiritual leader caught in sin, exposed, another ministry having issues. Sin is constantly being exposed. And the vast majority of the church, in all of its flavors, doesn't get it. 
You see, we're not watching an act of vengeance from an angry God. We're watching the loving discipline and correction of a loving father. Amen? And when these things happen, when your spiritual idol, your spiritual leader, whoever it is, when they fall or when they're exposed, when you, when you discover that, that like everybody else, like you, there may be some sin in their closet, that's not the time for us to glow because a lot of times, and this is why I say the church doesn't get it, because to be honest, when one of those people falls in one of those groups I don't dis- that I disagree with, I kind of like it. Come on. About time they got theirs. And the Lord says, careful boy. It's about time you got yours. Church, I want you to understand something. We are victors, not victims. And you are not a victim when a spiritual leader has a crisis in their life. I don't care what it is. That is not the moment for us to pile on. It's the time for us to press in. Because if he's doing that, if he's allowing that in their life, if he's allowing a time and a sifting in a fellowship, in a body, and whatever it is, it's not because he's trying to condemn them. He's trying to collect them back into his love. If we're truly going to be a church, then this has to be a place where we don't define people by their sin. We define them by their Savior. I'm going to say that again. That this is a place where people are not defined by their sin. They're not what they did. They are defined by their Savior and what he has done for them. You see, every godly act of discipline is not about what someone has done in the past. It is not about persecuting people for their past. It's about protecting and preserving his children for all that he has in store for their future. And sometimes that means Abba, that means daddy has to step in and get the belt. Because those whom he loves, he reproves and he disciplines. You know, you you may know someone right now who's going through a season of sifting. Have you reached out to him? Have you loved on him? Maybe it's you, but you're so embarrassed by it, you haven't told anybody. You haven't let us be the body of Christ. You haven't let us love you. These are great moments. An opportunity, an invitation to come into the city. Now, most people say, well, man, I really like the letter of Philadelphia better. But, but let me just clarify one more thing before we close. Well, they, the church of Philadelphia, they have an open door that no one can shut. That's wonderful. But you know what? An open door is worthless if you won't go through it. He says, I have placed before you. I have given... I, He didn't say, I came and shoved you through the open door. He said, I have placed an open door invitation to come into my kingdom, to come into my house, to receive my presence, receive my power, and walk in it. It's all for you. Come on in. 
And just because we stand here, I stand here, or you, just because we sing about it or say, oh yes, we have an open door. Oh yes, there's a whole lot of people who think they're living in Philadelphia, but the truth is they're living in Laodicea because they can sing about it, they can prophesy about it, they can talk about it, but they haven't gone through the door. So how is Philadelphia better than Laodicea? And you may be one that it's time to open the door. We want to be a congregation that makes it clear. Yeshua is the Messiah, the way, the truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. We open the door and we receive him in. And he throws open the door for his forever kingdom. What an amazing moment. And it all began in a little city, in a little city of David. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him in, still, to this day, the dear Savior enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us. Abide with us. Our Lord, Emmanuel. Abba, Father. For those who need to open the door today, I pray that your spirit will move mightily in their hearts, but that they will know that you will not do for them what they must do for themselves, and that is to open the door and receive you in. And Father, for those of us who we've been doing our version of Christianity or our version of Messianic faith, whatever it is, but somehow we still haven't passed through that door into your presence, understanding your spirit. Father, I pray that this season when the light is that, that had gone out is being celebrated as having been reborn, I pray, Father, that we will see the light and enter in to the open door that you have offered. I pray these things in Yeshua's holy name for myself, for my family, and for my brothers and sisters in Messiah that are here today who are watching online, may this be a season of opening the door and entering in. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, I pray. Amen. Good morning. I'm going to read the call. 
So walk, therefore, in a manner worthy of your calling, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And for the benediction, the grace of the Lord Yeshua Messiah, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.